0: everyone, it's producer Josh here, back with another episode of Vaco Soundbites. It's great to be back, and we're sorry it's been so long since our last outing, but we have a number of episodes in the pipeline over the coming weeks, which we look forward to sharing with you all. Shortly, you'll be hearing Peter in conversation with Thomas Verity, Principal Clarinet of Welsh National Opera. Thomas has had a long association with Vaco, which started as a student, and he's returning as a tutor, so it's great to have him involved and hear some real words of wisdom. I'm not going to ramble on for too long, but a couple of quick bits of Vaco news. Thomas will be hosting an online clarinet masterclass on the 16th of October, which you can apply for by heading to our website www.vaco.org.uk. In other news, we're currently working very hard to deliver a winter course after what has been an extremely long two years. So please make sure you've signed up to our mailing list or are following us on either Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for up-to-date news around how to sign up and how to attend a concert. Anyway, enough from me. And I'll hand straight over to Peter and Tom.
1: Uh, Tom, it's lovely to see you. Thank you very much for joining us on Vaco Soundbites. Now, obviously, we know each other from many, many... Back we were kind of trying to work out how long ago we won't we won't give precise years because that just dates. Us Sometimes it's best just to not work it out too precisely, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. But um, it's lovely to see you on this on this rather warm day. The last time we were doing one of these, it was stormy. Today it's the complete opposite. Um, hottest day of the year. Um, so lovely, lovely to be here. Lovely to see you. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Tom, so back in the early days, I think one of my first Vaco's was with you and Katie playing the Brooke Viola Clarinet Concerto. Um, and so obviously you've got quite a, a heritage and a vintage of Vaco. Um, but what has been your journey since then? Where have you been? What what have you been up to in those intervening years? I guess I started doing Vaco
2: basically, I think in the end of first year at uni and finished doing VACO well post uni and especially with all the other ensembles that Zen and Jane are, you know run and with the St. Cecilia Orchestra and Mowbray, I feel like I sort of kept the link for quite a long time with, with those guys, which is lovely. Um so it sort of just dovetailed quite naturally into professional life. I guess it really took me from student into the early days of freelancing Um, which I did around Manchester and then I was um, lucky to get a job in the Liverpool Philharmonic so I I worked there for seven years in the end, um, playing second clarinet, doubling E-flat and um, then I moved to London for I think about a year and a bit and I was with the RPO as an associate clarinet at that point and then finally moved to Cardiff where I am now um, to be principal clarinet with Welsh National Opera. Um, I've been here two years um, I've done about six months of actual playing in that time because my timing was uh, well a little bit strange I got here pretty much in time for the autumn season and then after Christmas everything shut down so i um, really looking forward to actually getting my teeth into this job properly um, in the next few months but um, but yeah that's, that's my journey in a, in a nutshell that's where
1: I am now. Fabulous so uh, actually quite a lot of those are very touring orchestras do you feel like you've kind of managed to, to- put down roots in any of those places or 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 do you feel like you're kind of pulled over the world and um it's always
2: tricky isn't it putting down roots for a musician um i think it's such a difficult balance to sort of have the excitement of that touring career but also the uh, stability of of a home life but um certainly i mean it wasn't in london really for long enough to do anything other than just have an amazing time and enjoy all the incredible stuff that goes on there but um Cardiff here is a really, really lovely sort of settled, um, very sort of relaxed place to be. And we do tour quite a lot with the orchestra, but mainly just around the UK. Um, So there's actually quite a nice camaraderie on tour. Um, And then, you know, you you sort of come home and you have your weekends and maybe a few free days in the week just to remind yourself um what your house looks like and uh <laughs> and uh, maybe just sort of settle back in so yeah it, it's always a difficult balance but i think um i think cardiff is a great place actually for for putting down some roots
1: and there's a huge amount of music in in that particular area as well with with a couple of orchestras for for a very small effectively a very small city um mm. you know a couple of orchestras uh the, the uh, welsh college um, you've got a, a, a great base of, um, of of arts in in that region. Um, Definitely. So uh, yeah, um, I, I wonder if you've got any advice for uh, young musicians. Um, I, I grew up listening to uh, Jean-Jean, Paul Jean-Jean's Vade pretty much my entire childhood. I, I can you know, go, go through most of those. Uh, that's still. because of your dad, right? I'm afraid so. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's my memory of the clarinet. Um, but uh, what advice do you have, other than uh, repeating Vardamekham many, many <laughs> times, uh, what advice do you have for young, up, and, and upcoming uh, musicians?
2: I think you need to just listen to so much music, just every... Every chance you get, go and see live music, listen to recorded music, listen to different performers doing the same piece, listen to music that you never thought you'd be interested in. Um, because at the end of the day, you anyone almost can put themselves through those Vardamecham exercises. And if you're persistent enough, you will learn how to play your instrument well. And then you're sort of then you're onto the next stage, which is like, well, why did I actually learn to control this, you know, lump of wood? It's actually to 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 say something and to convey a message and to make people feel something and I think that's the 95% of the whole job really that's the hard bit that's where you need to know so much about different styles genres you need to have a foot in you know different camps maybe if you can play a little bit by ear is quite useful and if you've got an interest in contemporary music that's going to feed in and perhaps you're interested in historical performance that might inform the way you play even on your modern instrument and I just think the broader you can be as a musician, the more you've got to
1: actually say to people and the more people are going to want to listen. Because you've been uh, looking at, at, at totally different genres and and bits of klezmer, I think, have been coming in into your playing. Yeah. Is that, that's been something you've built over the last couple of years, isn't it? Is that...
2: I think it's probably more like about five or six, but but it's definitely recent. Um, That actually, uh, unwittingly, has been an amazingly important part of my sort of transition to to being your principal clarinetist, which is what I sort of wanted to be, because playing that style of music gives you so much liberty, um, partly because it's sort of, you know, improvised elements, so sometimes you might just decide to do it a different way one day, and, you know, partly also because that style of music is so direct and communicative. Um, You can't just play the notes. You have to understand a bit about the style, and you have to really put your heart on your sleeve and, and sell the tune to the audience and make them want to dance or make them... You know want to cry or whatever the the mood of the piece is so yeah that the klezmer um band that i play in klezmerish has been absolutely um essential in my my recent sort of musical development and um you know when i was a sort of teenager and getting really into music i think a lot of us probably really get obsessed around that time don't we uh I used to listen to so much music and play jazz and you know uh, like accompany choirs and playing the wind band and stuff and the variety was amazing and when I got to college I definitely remember slimming down and thinking right I need to really focus on the clarinet now for the next four years that was a bit of a shame actually because that I mean it was great to have the time to practice but it actually wasn't me and it's only when I sort of came out of college that I then diversified again and started playing and listening to different styles of music and so going back to your previous question, I think if somebody, I mean, we're all attracted to music for a reason. And I think just stay true to that motivation. Don't, um, don't get too thrown off your original, uh, the original fire in your belly. Um, if, if something floats your boat, then that's probably going to be the thing that will see you through the years of, uh, of technical work and, uh, rubbish freelance gigs and, um, finding reeds. Yeah, reads. Yep, exactly. So <laughs>
1: As a clarinetist in your family, you know, I, I can see that you can sympathise with this. I, I, yeah, I, I don't understand, but I sympathise totally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, coming back to that, you know, the idea that you talk about of improvisation from klezmer, mm. I, I can really see how that might be brought in. You know, we think about the, the most famous of clarinet pieces, Rhapsody in Blue, that epic opening, the ability to uh, improvise over that. And if you can pull that from from anywhere... Um, then then that all those influences will be going into to just help on an everyday basis and and encourage different different sounds that you have and and
2: definitely i mean i remember being obsessed about my tone on the clarinet and spending years trying to you know get the the right sound and really eventually i realized that there isn't one perfect sound and actually you need to be able to make a whole range of sounds and choose the one that's most appropriate at the time um so yeah i mean klezmer is brilliant for that you can you know you can do all the naughty things that we're not supposed to do as clarinetists you can make it squeak you can bend it you know you can play with loads of air in the sound you can really sort of pinch the sound if you want to make it very sort of um, expressive and yeah i would definitely recommend any clarinetist to play some jazz or klezmer it's
1: very very good for you when we look at different types of music how do you approach new things had been put in front of you. you, know, you you're, you're now 10, 15 years into your playing career, um, but you must still be getting uh, repertoire that you haven't approached before. How do you look at that in, in, in your first viewing of it, in your sight reading, in your practice, in your run-up to concerts? Well,
2: I mean, I've made this jump to an opera orchestra having never played much opera before so you're definitely right in that sort of everything that comes my way is new at the moment and that's brilliant because you know god the world of opera is some of the best music out there and it's amazing to be learning all of these classic pieces um i mean specifically with opera it's so overwhelmingly long isn't it um so to be honest the first thing i usually do actually is watch a performance if i can find it on youtube or um on the streaming service or something, I actually watch it and try and learn what the story's about, keep an ear out for any interesting clarinet moments, but try and get a sense of what the whole piece is about. Um because I know that I'm going to be spending weeks and weeks in the pit focusing on my individual part and not being able to see the stage, but I want to know how that fits into the bigger picture.
1: I love that idea of of really getting to know the story and you know that that ability to bring that into your playing.
2: Well, opera's a gift in that respect, isn't it? Because, I mean, none of it's pure music. It's all there to convey something. And, you know, sometimes the tune that you see on the page, um, like I, I did... Um, oh, I can't remember the exact example now. I think I did... No, I can't remember the exact example, but sometimes you see something that looks quite sort of, I don't know, maybe quite jolly or quite light-hearted on the page, and then actually when you see the place in the, in the plot, you discover it's actually a, a moment of high drama or something, and that might inform the way you play it. Um, so, yeah, it's really important to sort of work out what you're trying to say with the music.
1: So on the opposite end of the spectrum, we've got pieces that perhaps you you don't get a choice in what you're playing as, as a musician a lot of the time. How do you deal with the monotony of, of perhaps having to play certain pieces again and again and again when actually you would really rather be playing maybe Rosen Cavalier or um, a bit of Vorjak or a bit of anything else, but perhaps not um one of these items that comes up every single week um Mm. in in your uh, career
2: well um in opera obviously we do a lot of repetition i mean we might um do 20 runs of a show or something in a season so you do have the risk you do run the risk of getting a bit bored um but um My when I was on trial actually here, the principal cello just made a passing comment to me about how she loves the fact that we sit in different positions in every pit as we tour around the country and she hears something different every time and that's what keeps her interested and that really hit home with me and I do feel that every week you're playing the same piece but it's a different theatre, it's a different feeling, it's a different audio experience depending who's around you And, and you really sort of get to know the piece from every angle so that really helps me avoid boredom in that respect. And with more like the symphonic stuff that comes around time and time again, I mean, a lot of the time, the stuff that comes around again, they are played a lot for a reason. I mean, they're amazing pieces, and that means it's it's sort of really worth digging down into them and just, just discovering maybe what the composer was going through at the time or trying to, you know, pick out on the piano why that amazing harmony in a certain bar works so well or... You know, maybe trying to learn a part different to yours to see sort of what the violas might happen to be doing while you're, you know, playing a tune over the top of them or something. You know, um, I mean, we did um, New World Symphony this this last week, just talking of Dvorak, and you know that is obviously so overplayed as a piece, but there's always something new to find in it. And you know, in this case, having it conducted by an operatic com- conductor, you know, was a, a new sort of experience and. I mean, I always take my own part for something like that. And, and at the end of the concert, I always try and write down stuff that I've noticed this time for next time. And it actually was a viola part that I made a note of this time. So I was like, oh, OK, they're playing the tune now. I need to keep up with them.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So many viola jokes were coming to my mind as you were saying this about what the violas are doing whilst you're playing. <laughs> but um, actually, you know, I, would, I like to argue that violas have the best part because we pull everything together. definitely. And we ignore you at our peril. So, what what pieces are you really looking forward to performing? You've you've got you know, these new, um, you, you've you've got new items coming up that you won't perform before. But is there anything that you are particularly uh, looking forward to coming up in in the schedule? Um, yeah, I um,
2: we've got a long run, a double season actually of Madame Butterfly coming up, which is absolutely standard, and I'm sure for. A lot of the people who've been in the orchestra for many years will be just another day, you know, another day in the office. But for me, never played it before, never really played much Puccini. But what I know of him, I think, is incredible. He writes so well for the clarinet. I'm really, really looking forward to getting stuck into that. Um, I'm playing it again and again and really just getting to know the piece.
1: If you could give a young professional any bit of advice about preparing for auditions, how would you go about doing this?
2: Oh, wow. Um... I mean, I never felt like I've been amazing at doing auditions. I feel like perhaps the last one or two I did, I started coming close to playing as well as I know I can. So I haven't nailed it, but um, I guess I've started thinking about preparation in a number of strands. Um, obviously knowing the excerpts, you're talking about an orchestral audition here, I presume, are you? Yeah, knowing the excerpts, just inside out, absolute, you know, de rigueur you cannot get away without knowing the material inside out because you you will be stressed on the day and you'll start doubting yourself and so if you've just skipped over that semiquaver run every time you don't really know it from memory for example you couldn't write it out in your sleep you probably won't be able to play it fluently on the day um the second element i try and think about is um my just general instrumental technique because i've had plenty of experiences where i've learned the excerpts really well but I haven't got a good read, or perhaps I've been over practicing in my, you know, I'm sure it's tired, um, or yeah, I mean, I just don't feel on top of my technique, and then you can never deliver as well as you want to, which is really frustrating. And then the the sort of the third thing I've been thinking about a lot more recently in recent years is the sort of psychological element of it. So you know the music, you can play your instrument well, but can you deliver that on the spot when it's required? Because that is what an auditions about. It's this bizarre situation isn't it where you're expected to pull out a party trick perfectly at you know 2:07 p.m. on this particular date and if you can't do it then that's it so i've been doing a lot of um just research on the internet and listening to um podcasts and that sort of thing about um psychological preparation for auditions and for me it really helps having a little routine before i play every excerpt i just go through a little checklist in my mind things like sort of just checking in with your breathing checking your muscles are relaxed, thinking about what you're trying to do with this excerpt, thinking about the tempo in your head, just a few little things so that every time I play an excerpt, I go through the same procedure. And that just seems to, for me, set me up quite well and give me some security.
1: I I, I totally, I love what you say about that, the idea of actually even even having done thousands of auditions or hundreds of auditions, you still walk out thinking, oh gosh, I could have done that better. Could I? And actually it kind of brings you back to that, again, that psychological thing, of going, actually, we're we're never gonna do something perfect because mm. there's, that would be that would be boring. That that would be dull, and that's kind of what makes music amazing. Is, is that there's always something that we can be changing and, and adapting and and altering, uh, and that's the the joy of it. And and mm. so that that idea of that psychological approach to to your audition um, sounds fantastic. And at the end of the day,
2: just go in and play something amazing and convincing. And the people on the panel, you know, they love music too. Someone said to me, actually, a teacher said to me a few years ago, you know, just go in and play the Tusker excerpt and make them cry and you'll get the job. You know, like he was joking, but he had a point. Like if you can go in and just connect with these people, yeah, sure, they don't want you to squeak. They want you to not make mistakes. They want you to have an amazing sound. But if you move them, they're going to be hard pushed not to put you through. So Don't forget that all the talk about technique and preparation and and psychology, it's important. But at the end of the day, you're performing, you're connecting with another human being and you're trying to make them feel what you feel about the piece. And that is the underlying uh, sort of level for me.
1: And they want to they want to hear you do well. They want to find someone to to fill that job. They're desperate to find an an amazing clarinetist and an amazing musician. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it. Um, I wonder if we can go back and and touch on Vaco again, and um, just to because uh, you know, this this idea that it, it was that bridge between a bit of college and moving into your professional life, um, and I wonder if we can we can look at your 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 most enjoyable musical memory from that period of time and where how how that has shaped your career.
2: Yeah, I to struggle to choose one. I mean. I've had so many good memories, you know, just real incredible uh, opportunities that I wouldn't have had um, Mm. in college. I mean, the very first time I played with with Vaco um, was doing a double clarinet concerto. So a friend of mine who was already in the orchestra needed someone to come and play the second part in this concerto. And I hadn't heard of Vaco, didn't really know what it was. So I was like, okay, I'll uh, I'll take a punt and I'll sign up to go and, uh, you know, be in Italy and Switzerland for two weeks with loads of people I don't know and play a concerto that I don't know. And it was the best thing I ever did. I mean, not not everyone at the age of 18 or 19 gets to stand up, you know, multiple performances around Europe playing a, a concerto with a, with a great orchestra behind them. So that was a really good start. Um, two other things that really stick in my mind, the chamber music courses in the summer in the UK are amazing. Um, I did the uh, Beethoven Septet um, with an amazing group of players and we played about five or six performances around sort of churches in in north yorkshire and zen was involved in coaching us which got us to a really high level but then he sort of let us go and we could take responsibility and and it was basically like being in in a sort of top level chamber group um with concerts already arranged for us like we because i'm you know we've all done chamber music now and we're all trying to organize concerts for ourselves and that can be such a nightmare but to just literally have six dates lined up for you go and play this amazing music with amazing people was just so liberating um and I think the other one I was going to say was another chamber music thing which was when we did the the wolf ferrari uh I don't know the exact title but it's for 13 instruments I think um maybe chamber symphony or something like that incredible piece never heard anything like it such a different style of composing very sort of late romantic sort of over over lush music and again a great bunch of players we got to play this amazing piece all all around uh yorkshire and i think as as i remember we then did it again on a professional basis um which we actually got paid for um the following year so uh, again just absolutely incredible experience there musically and that's not to mention any of the social side of it but you know where could I start with that? I mean,
1: absolutely, I I totally agree. I think it's it's that music and the social mix that makes Vaco that uh, incredible experience that it is, um, and and the fact that you know, fifteen or so years ago we first met on a Vaco course, and here we are, um, kind of you know, all these years later still involved S- still involved um they haven't got rid of me yet and <laughs> um, and you know and and still you know absolutely loving our experiences and you you are uh, part of that you're you're now part of the coaching uh, team and you're giving some of the masterclasses that are, are coming up uh, that's happening on zoom isn't it that's that's, that's right. kicking yeah. off on zoom so how, how can we get involved in your masterclasses that are coming up
2: um, we'll have a look on the Vaco website uh, vaco.org.uk. And there's going to be individual lessons, but also we're going to do a bit of a group session on uh, learning a klezma tune. So, going back to what I was saying before about how every clarinetist should learn some klezma, here's a good chance if you've never done it before.
1: Brilliant. I, I can just imagine the, the racket of a group klezma session on Zoom. I, I, that sounds like something we should probably put into our next podcast uh, at some <laughs> point. That'll be, with with all the latency and the the slights, uh, that's going to be utterly awesome. Um, yeah, totally. Brilliant. Well, it, Tom, it's always uh, amazing fun to 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 chat and to talk about music. Um, and I know that your masterclass is going to be absolutely part of that. I, I wish I could join you. Uh, I wish I played clarinet and therefore <laughs> could come along. Unfortunately, I I don't. Um, but there will be more masterclasses from Vaco coming up very soon. And for today, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, an absolute pleasure to see you again.
2: Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Lovely
0: to chat to you. <whistles> Thanks once again to both Thomas and Peter for that fantastic interview. For those of you looking to get involved in the conversation, please write to us through our social media pages or by emailing podcast at uk. We're always keen to hear from our listeners, so please let us know what you'd like to hear more of over the coming months. And if you feel obliged, please leave us a review, preferably five stars, on your preferred podcast provider. We'll be back with another episode in the next week or two, but until then, please stay well and enjoy your summer holidays. Bye for now.